Indispensable is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Hello, I'm Colleen McKenna, your ever-curious host who loves spirited conversations, stories that stay with you, and learning something new every day. Today, I'm thrilled to have Julie Heisey, Vistage Chair and Executive Coach, joining us from Seattle. Julie, thanks for being a part of our Indispensable podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Colleen. Well, I remember from our first conversation months ago, I've been so intrigued to learn more about you. You've spent most of your professional career on a court, not <laughs> in a boardroom, right? And That's there's no doubt that that experience has taught you a great deal about people and leadership. So if you can share, tell us a little bit about yourself and share your background, we'd love to hear. Well, um, I'll start from just growing up. I grew up in a family of nine kids on a farm. And so I think my whole life has kind of been about teamwork because um, when you have nine people in a family, whether it's sharing the bathroom or cleaning up the kitchen and definitely living on a farm, it's about people working together and everyone's important. And so, um, yeah, from that, you know, I was able to start playing basketball and it was just a fun part of my life, but I had coaches that had a dream for me and they kept telling me that you can play college basketball. And so, you know, that's the route I took and I knew I always wanted to be a teacher, but after playing basketball, I knew I wanted to be a coach. And so um, I taught in the public schools for three years and then I was a college basketball coach for the last 26 years. And then now I'm a Vistage chair. And really interesting progression there because you actually launched the basketball program, right? At, yes. At the college. Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough that my first college basketball job, um, I was four years as an assistant coach at Southern Nazarene University, and, and we won three national championships in those four years, and um, that was, you know, something else, I mean, to do that year after year, and um, it was quite something, and then I got a call from Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, and they had never had a program, and they wanted me to come start. And it was kind of crazy because I got hired on May 9th. Graduation had been May 2nd. And I was supposed to have a basketball team by the time school started. Our first game was November 3rd. So not much time to prepare. But, um, you know, that first year was really hard. We lost four games in eight days by 147 points. 
and um, I had 24 more games to keep my kids motivated. But, you know, we didn't win a lot of games that year. I think we won four. But um, the goal was in four years to get to the national tournament, and we did, and we got to the Sweet 16, and then we never looked back. We went to the national tournament the next six years, and then I went to Seattle Pacific University and, you know, got to experience that same type of um, flavor as far as national competition, but on a different level. Yeah, it's so interesting. How did you even get that team together? I mean, if there was no team, <laughs> was admissions recruiting people for a team they didn't have? How did that work? Well, some of it, that's a good question, and you were pretty smart. Actually, the, the athletic director had recruited four players for me, <laughs> but, which is kind of crazy because what four players are going to come play in college without a coach? But there are kids that needed a scholarship, I guess, and wanted to play. Um, Dr. Donahoe was pretty persuasive, but yeah, I just, I took to the foreign route. I brought in two girls, one from Iceland and one from Wales and they helped. And, um, and then I got some kids from Oklahoma cause that's where I was coming from. But that first year we just weren't, I mean, we weren't very good. And, um, we were in a really good conference with Belmont or Lipscomb and union and they were powerhouses and, you know, I knew we weren't gonna be very good, but we got better every year. And like I said, by that fourth year, we had the right mix of girls and we won a game in the national tournament. And that was pretty awesome. So it seems like there was a lot of um, that startup phase is yes. very familiar to most entrepreneurs and small business people, right? Get a whole lot done really, really quickly, figure it out as you go. A lot of vision casting and kind of a little bit of hope for the best, right? And we're going to get better and keep working yeah. on it. Seems the like. Great, not to interrupt you, but the great thing was by being at Southern Nazarene and having won three national championships, I knew what was best. And so that, you know, as much as it was trial by error and I had amazing support, I had an awesome university that surrounded me and the professors and the student development people helped me recruit. But I did know what excellence looked like. And I think that helped me because I had a really clear path on where I wanted to go. It just, you know, you don't always know how you're gonna get there. Exactly, so when you were recruited to Seattle Pacific University, was, what was the context for that? What did they want to accomplish? Well, that was the complete opposite. They had only lost three games, five games in the last three years, and they just lost in the national championship game. <laughs> yeah. So I went from starting from scratch to basically almost being at the pinnacle of success with only one way to go. You're either gonna win a national championship or you're not gonna do as well. So that was a little bit, that was more stressful because you know I was going into a situation where they'd had tons of success and NCAA rules are such that it's very difficult to build relationship. And I didn't get hired till July and um, the kids were on summer break and I was very limited in my relationship building. So. That first year was a little tough because I really didn't know my kids and we were going to graduate four people and I had to recruit a lot. And so, um, to be honest, that was probably one of my biggest challenges that first year. Not that it wasn't good. We still went to the Sweet 16 and I still enjoyed my players, but there was a lot of pressure. And probably a lot of expectation 
because of the success of the team. For sure. And that's where the pressure was. And, and I was so opposite of Gordy Presnell, their former coach. And he was amazing and we're friends. But, I mean, that was part of the reason why I got that job is because he recommended me for the job when he left to go to Boise State. But, um, yeah, it, it was a challenge. But, you know, like everything, you learn from it, and it makes you better, hopefully. And I think it made me better. And when, when I think about that process, right, from starting a team to inheriting a team, that recruiting piece is huge in both of those scenarios. Yes. What – um, when you're thinking about recruiting, because a lot of people who are running businesses right now, that's one of their biggest challenges, recruiting. Mm -hmm. What would you say that you looked for and how you were able to put a good recruiting program or a solid recruiting program together? Yeah. Well, you know, I think people are people and you win with winners. And I think um, part of, you know, I think in starting a program, you had to look, I had to, I was starting a program and I was laying the foundation. So I had to have the right character. And I think that as, you know, today, as I'm building my Vistage group, it's the same thing. I want the right character in the room. I need people that are humble. I need people that are hungry. I want people that know what excellence is. I want people that really care about others and that they have the ability to make the people around them better. And I think it's the same thing in the workplace because people can have a lot of talent, but if you don't know what motivates them or they're not a self-starter um, or they're not a team player, you're just not going to go very far with them. And how do you find the best way to kind of shake all of that out? And sometimes when you're just meeting people quickly, you, you know, you're not, you don't know them well. You're trying to put that team together as fast as possible how can you always tell about the character? Well, I mean, on the basketball court, it's a little, it's a little bit easier because you get to watch <laughs> when they make a mistake, how do they react? Or when their teammates make a mistake, how do they react? I think, um, you know, as a, a business person, I think you have to be able to ask good questions and find out about, you know, when this, tell me about a mistake that you made and how did you respond? Tell me about a disappointment in your life when someone let you down. I mean, I think you have to be able to ask really good questions and find out what makes that person tick. Um, obviously, you know, with the advantage now of the internet, I mean, we can do a lot of research on people's companies. Um, you can read things on Glassdoor. I mean, you can read their LinkedIn page and find out a little bit more about them. And I think, um, I do think in, in hiring people, the more information that you can have, the better. And, you know, I don't know what all the HR policies are at different places, but I do think references are really important because even in coaching, I called the secretary of the school and asked about this kid. You know, I would talk to the, you know, different coaches that they competed against and ask them about that kid because I wanted to know what people thought. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, you know, if it was consistent, if it was the same story. And so you were calling the coaches that they played against, not just that yes. they played for. Do yes. you think many coaches do that? Well, I think they do a little bit because I think part of it, you know, you don't want to make a mistake. When you are recruiting a, a kid, 
at our school at that time, you're putting about $120,000 just in scholarship money, money in them in the next four years. And so like when someone can say that girl is the best encourager or that girl is, um, man, she is respectful to the other coaches and to the referees or that kid knows how to win. I mean, I just think it just it makes it easier to offer a scholarship because one of the things I was proud of is I had a, almost 100% graduation rate in my last 13 years. I only had two kids that transferred, and um, I really think it's because I knew when I offered a scholarship, my goal was to see them walk across the stage and get their diploma. I wasn't there to be a transfer situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and that probably is also very meaningful to the family, too. Yeah, They I knew so. you were invested, right? <laughs> they knew you, right? Makes yeah. complete how did you transition from coaching young women to coaching and working with CEOs? Well, you know, I had a friend named Jerry Brown. His wife is one of my best friends. And while I know Jerry, I know him a lot better now. But he knew what I was thinking. Um, a year ago, I, I actually, in February 2017, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with ALS. Mm. I'm sorry. And then a month okay. later... My brother was diagnosed with cancer Mm. and given 50% chance to live. And so my parents, who who are in their 90s, I saw them age quickly watching my brother-in-law and brother deteriorate quickly. And my brother is doing well, and he has survived cancer. My brother-in-law did pass away. But as we were going through that, and my husband's parents are in their 80s, and you know, the commitment of basketball and my husband's job was just too much. And it was like, you know, we want, I want to be around in, in joyful times and not just in crisis. So as I was pondering leaving coaching, not many people knew that, but my friend knew and her husband knew. And so he reached out to me and said, you know, Julie, I think, um, I've been thinking about you a lot and I think you'd be really good at what I do and I'd like to meet with you. And so Jerry was a Vistage chair and we met on several occasions for a couple months. And then finally, after two months, he invited me to come visit his groups. And when I went to the two Vistage groups, I was like, this is amazing. There are humble, hungry, smart, accomplished people in this room and there is great energy and they help each other. And um, I didn't know if I could be the chair, but I knew I wanted to be a part of the group because Mm -hmm. there was power in that room. And, um, and so Jerry invited me to stick with them and just be a member. And by August, I was like, I really want to do this. And so September I went through Vistage, a Vistage interview and then, um, have continued to work with Jerry and his two groups. I'm his assistant coach, so to speak, and he's helping me with mine. And uh, so I needed someone to believe in me and I needed someone to give me an opportunity. And, um, and obviously Vistage believed in me as well. And they've given me a lot of training, but that's how the transition has gone. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that because there's always um, these places, right? That we come to in the course of our career that sometimes life hits us and we have to make decisions and they're big decisions and we have to look at the bigger picture. And so I appreciate you sharing that because there's not a person who's listening 
or a person out there that doesn't come to that same place. Yeah. And having the courage to make big decisions in your career because they're the right decisions are hard. And so I appreciate you sharing that because that's well, well thank you. And I would really, just really no regrets. Right. You know, it was it was wonderful. I got to do a lot of things because I've created space in my life. And it's good to have a new challenge too. Yeah, I think that you you kind of when you step away from those big changes. I remember when, you know, I started my own business, my mother-in-law who was 99 um, wow. at the time and is now going to be 102 <laughs> said to me just keep walking through the door the door that's open hmm. if, if there's if it, even if it's just cracked just like push it a little bit and if it keeps opening then you're meant to go through that door and i you know what i remember really um remembering that through those first couple of years when i was like am i doing the right thing should i do this <laughs> right like does this make sense and that kind of reassurance from someone like her was sometimes the thing that kept me going the next day because it was a big decision, right? Yeah. So, I think just to add to that, it's so important to have people in our corner because I could not have done it without my friend Jerry and without his group supporting me and my husband was amazing. So I agree. I'm glad you had your grandmother because we need those people to speak truth. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, have you found, you know, Many people may not know what Vistage is. Um, Vistage is a CEO peer advisory group, the largest in the world. And it's where CEOs come together on a monthly basis to hear speakers and to process issues and to have peer support and then often one-on-one -on -one coaching with their Vistage chair. Mm -hmm. Is that an accurate assessment, Julie? Yeah, and I would just add, you know, it's really a, a place to come together and, like you said, be with your peers. And I would say it's a place for iron sharpening iron. When one person is doing something well, it makes you want to do things well. When you see someone overcome a big obstacle, you think you can overcome that. And it's a people, it's really a group that just is behind you. It's your strategic network that there is to support you. And, and I find it um, interesting. So, think about all the years where you were the, the coach and you were pouring into so many people, young women especially. And I think what ha I find really curious about coaching young women, I have three daughters, oh. is um, who all played sports. Cool. And I remember thinking through the years, oh, do these coaches realize the, the influence, the impression that they have the opportunity to make to these young women. And, you know, so you did this for so many years and then you switched and you became part of a Vistage group where you were able to absorb other people's leadership, right? Yeah. And learnings. And so it's kind of like you switched positions for a little bit. You became the student. Yeah. And, and I did, but you know, it's like, I think part of life is, is that, always being willing to learn from someone else. Because even as the basketball coach, I learn from my players all the time. And, um, and what you said about influence was almost scary at times. I mean, I really had to pray that I would use my influence well. And if there was a situation that maybe in the heat of the moment I said or did something that wasn't right, that 
it would come to my mind because I would want to go back and make sure I, I dealt with it properly. And now, you know, I feel very um, privileged and a little bit humbled to be leading a group of, um, you know, great business people that I love. And again, they are allowing me to be a part of their inner circle and I'm allowing them to be part of my inner circle. But um, yeah, there's still a little bit of that humility. That's like, wow, I get to share in something bigger than myself but I also get to help people um, reach their dreams and become the best version of themselves. And that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Do you see certain things that are, um, that both the student athletes and the CEOs have in common? Oh yeah. Because you know what? It's, we're all people, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I don't know. What can I say? Everybody feels insecure at times. <laughs> Everybody feels lonely. Um, everybody, you know, you think about a college girl and it's hard for them to speak truth or to maybe hold someone accountable. Well, it's just as hard for a man that's 55 years old that's been a CEO for 20 years to do the same thing sometimes. And um, people, I mean, I see it all the time. It's like sometimes even grown men and women have a hard time um, being strong and, and holding people accountable and, and being able to follow through and, and, and organization, you know, it's hard. The more, the busier people are, we still need help with organization. And, and then we always need someone to just give us a hug or encourage us. So I think, yeah, it's, we're all people. We all have the same needs. They just look a little different. Right. I love that. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the business truths that have shaped you. And inspired you well I don't know if they're just business truths or if they're life truths but I think um, as I look into business and we've been studying brand you know brand is how you treat people and I would hope that our my brand would be consistent and I think about a brand is you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you um, how do I bring out the best in you? How can I serve you? And I think as, I think that transcends in business with your products, with your customer service as a leader. Um, if we're going to spend, I mean, we spend more time at work than we do at play or with our families. And I would hope that it would be a place that we truly can bring out the best in others and that we can find that we're operating in our, um, you know, we operate in joy and we operate in freedom and have our passions rather than it just being a grind. And I'm not saying work isn't a grind at times, but I don't know. I think those same things apply, you know, whether it's, it's, I think it's universal, whether it's life, business, athletics, I think we have to just treat people well. I think we need to be consistent in how we treat people I think there's joy in serving and there's joy in excellence. There's joy in achieving. I don't know and if that's a very good answer, Colleen. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's a fabulous answer. I think it's a great answer. And have you always thought, even when you were coaching and really sort of an agent, a representative of the university, that you had your own personal brand? Well, I think it was probably my, it was probably my reputation or my integrity but, you know, as I was leaving coaching, you know, everybody was like, you have to learn how to 
rebrand yourself or you have to have, you know, what are your traits that you can carry over from one, uh, what are, you know, one, one occupation to another. And, but now that I've been, you know, in the business world, brand is so much, you know, it's such a big factor. And, um, and so, yeah, I do think, I mean, I, I don't know that I use the word brand, but I always thought about myself as being an ambassador for the university, being an ambassador for the girls that I represented and being about ambassador for the people that came before us. And so as you did that, as, as that's, that's how you represented the school, it would seem as though the girls would probably have picked up on that and also realized that they were also ambassadors for the school. Yes, we talked about that a lot. I mean, we talked about that whether it's good or bad, when you wear an SPU jersey or you're on the SPU basketball team, you have to walk to a higher standard because you have the opportunity to represent the school in a way that the average student doesn't. And my last year at SPU, we took our team to the Dominican Republic for a service trip. We did play three games of basketball, but we served and, um, you know, we worked with children. We did basketball camps. We painted a health clinic. Um, we fed kids. We did some, we gave shoes um, to children that were living in a, basically a landfill. Um, it was an awesome experience, but that whole thing that we talked about was that we were not there to judge. We were there to be an ambassador, and it was so much about, you know, waving at someone, giving somebody a high five, smiling, um, being willing to bring joy, and um, be the first person to reach out, and it was incredible. Yeah, it's such a rich experience and great perspective building for students. Yeah, and really for people in general, because when we came back from the Dominican, we talked about that. How can we come back to Seattle, Washington and be ambassadors? Who is it that needs to have a smile or a handshake? And how do you think the students responded to that or everybody that went on the trip responded? Do you they, think they, they brought that it. back? They got it because I think they, I mean, that was a goal. They realized that when we were in the Dominican, they didn't have their cell phone and we were completely unplugged, that it was easier to do. And that was something they really wanted to come back to. And we tried to meet weekly to talk about, you know, are we still living up to the things that we learned in the Dominican? And I think for the most part, we did that year. I think it was, um, I think it was pretty life-changing when they realized that you make a difference by just giving a smile or saying hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that we don't know what person next to us or walking down the street in front of us um, is going through and so we can make some very quick judgments that yeah. are just based on our own personal bias and perspective and not always accurate at all yeah and just getting out of our own head <laughs> yeah right how do you think that your students um moved into the professional world. You know, there's lots of talk about student athletes are great candidates to hire, right? Because they are very, they're disciplined. They've done something probably for a long time, especially if they've played in college, they get teamwork, they know dedication. A lot, lot of the attributes of a student athlete transition really well to working professionally. How did you see your students make that? change 
our kids did awesome. And part of them, you know, they, because we were at a division two school, they didn't have to, they didn't have to be at school all summer. And so even though they were still working out, most of our kids had internships or they had jobs, but um, yeah, all of my girls got hired either before they had graduated or they were hired within a few months afterwards, because I do think they had, got, they had learned to have good people skills and they obviously their work ethic, but they had reached out to people. And, you know, right now I have one of my students that's in her second year of med school. I have another girl that just graduated from USC in occupational therapy. I have another girl that two girls that are in physical therapy school. So um, one school, one girl's in veterinary school. So, I mean, I've had kids that have gone beyond their four year degree to get, um, you know, extra professional degrees, but yeah, I see them. They get hired fast and they're moving up in management fast. I'm amazed at what they are doing at 24 and 25 years of age. They have had a lot of responsibility and I think their leadership skills and organizational skills and their people skills are valued because I think that's one of the reasons why they've moved up so quickly. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know that, you know, we have a recruiter on our team and very often when she's talking to um, clients, they're like, can you find me some student athletes, right? And um, and that comes up quite a bit. I always encourage students to make sure they add that to their LinkedIn profile. Yeah. It, it creates greater context. It speaks to who they are, what they've committed to, and that they do make a commitment and have certainly made a commitment in the past. So it's to me, it's such a plus. However, you know, there's lots of people who don't play sports but you can translate that to a musician or, you know, uh, different, different areas where somebody has committed themselves for a long period of time and gained expertise, even at a young age. Yeah. And I think the thing about athletics, too, is it teaches everybody to work together. Because if they're on your team and there's only 12 people, you can't have someone being the odd duck. I mean, everybody has to find a way to make sure that they're inclusive. And I think that makes a huge deal. And, you know, I was surprised, um, and I don't know why, but I was surprised at how um, beneficial it was to be a basketball coach as I've been meeting with new business owners and, you know, CEOs. People like it that I've been a coach. And how many of them can relate to when I was a college or when I was a high school wrestler or when I was a college soccer player or you know, I like it that you're coached because you know how to work with all types of people and you know how to create teams. And, you know, so it's been interesting just to hear the different comments from people who understand that I have a coaching background and how they see value in that. And so they're sort of self-identifying is really what you're saying, right? Like they, it kind of takes them back to what they experienced as yeah. an athlete. Yeah. And what they liked. And then I think the other thing I was surprised by, I had several CEOs tell me, um, I don't want to talk to another CEO. I would rather talk to someone different than me. And I thought mm -hmm. that was interesting too. Mm -hmm. Well, I think number one, it's such a great conversation starter because when they hear about you or they see you from your LinkedIn profile or somebody refers them to you, like it's pretty cool to know a, bas <laughs> a college basketball coach, right? I mean, not everybody knows a college basketball coach. I don't, you're the only one I know. <laughs> I know a lot of CEOs, but I only know one college basketball coach. That's you. Oh, that's funny. But I'm happy to know you, Colleen. 
<laughs> so as a coach, discipline is a was probably also a big part of it. What about routine? Are you a really routined person? Yes, I love routine. <laughs> I bet. And um, that's probably been my biggest challenge um, in changing careers is that I've had to figure out a new routine and how it works. And I'm going to give a little plug for you, Colleen, and for Intero, but one of my favorite things since last March is that almost every Tuesday morning at 6.15 Pacific time, I would meet with Liza. And that was a call that I looked forward to. Liza is um, works for Colleen, and she's helped me do prospecting and helped me do LinkedIn messaging, and she's just been amazing. But, you know, that was a part of my routine that I was like, I look forward to talking to, you, to Liza. I look forward to her joy. I look forward to having a great teammate. And that was an important part of my routine. So thanks. Oh, I'm so That's so great to hear. I know she does have a way of um, making you look forward to a phone call that might not always be fun. I don't know. She just <laughs> does definitely has a way of doing that. And in full disclosure, Eliza is my youngest daughter. Oh, she is. Uh, yeah, she is my, you didn't know that. No. Oh, that's funny. She is. She's my youngest daughter and <laughs> um, swore she would never come work with me. And yet, you know, upon graduation, offered two jobs and called me one day and said, I, I, I'm not taking either of those two jobs I was just offered. I'm going to come work for you. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I had a job opening. Um, and <laughs> she's great. She's great. Well, you have a great daughter. I'm going to miss her when I don't get to work with her anymore. Well, I know. And interesting, not to make this the, you know, about Liza, but she's now refing. So oh. she decided to start um, refing field hockey for middle school and rec league. And so she's just begun that um, as an extra activity and had her first game. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so much fun. But I've got to get more confident blowing my whistle yes <laughs> right because they tell me it's my game who knew i thought the athlete was the game for the athletes right oh. not not for the ref so yeah. just having some fun but it's so um i love when these young women and young men you know they are working professionally but they also have some other things that excite them and giving back to their communities in lots of different ways yeah that's great. Colleen, I want to go back to the routine because, you know, I don't know who's listening, but like for me, some of the saving grace of starting a new business, because it was, it's hard, it's challenging. And where I've always had people around me and I've been more by myself, um, the routine of like making sure I take care of myself. Um, because I think I so badly want to climb the mountain and get the win that sometimes it's easy to push aside myself. And so just having that routine of self-care of like, I got to go to the gym and I got to take time to go to the, for a walk or, you know, go hit some balls or do something with a friend. Um, that's been really important because as my routine of my job has changed, I needed to maintain some of my other routine. I think just to have sanity and to have the joy and perspective, but, um, but definitely. And I think, you know, it, my routine is changing now that I've tried to work better. Like, okay, what days do I need to have just as a day that's a total work day and not running to meetings or calling. And, and that was something, you know, I learned in my office for 26 years, but in starting a business um, it's, you know, 
it's been a little bit harder to have a normal routine, but I definitely have tried to keep my mornings and my evenings the same and, you know, try to have some continuity there. I think that's helped. I think it's really important. I think when you're starting a new business and you're trying to be super responsive and you're in gathering mode, right? Yes. Gathering of clients and business, you, you kind of lose sight. Like, oh, you, you just think, okay, I'm in pursuit and gathering and it's, wow, I got to get this done. But the perspective of pausing and working out or going outside and taking a walk is huge. And it's probably something that you're already talking to those new clients and members about anyway. So you've got to be doing what you're suggesting for them too. That's right. If you're not living it, you're, it's pretty hollow. The other part about routine too is really now having your own business you're the systems administrator, the salesperson, the marketing person, the um, bookkeeper, you're yes. everything, right? You know, there's a lot of that where before you had a group of people that supported. Yeah. And I think that that's a big transition. You learn a lot trial by fire when you're in charge of all of these different areas too. Yeah. And I think for me too, it's harder, you know, cause not to keep going back to basketball, but I had a routine of the season and then you had the off season and then you had summer and then you had preseason. And, and I think figuring out, you know, in a, in a business build, you don't always know when the, the finish line is, or you don't know when the launch date is. I mean, you have the idea, but sometimes things get pushed back or things change. And so I think again, just trying to create as much normalcy around you as possible, because otherwise I feel like um, it can be an emotional roller coaster a little bit and just not knowing what, you know, what the highs and lows are and, and trying to not spend energy or emotion on the wrong things. Well, I think it's really wise to be able to see it from that perspective. I think in, in business, it's sort of never ending. Right? <laughs> there, it's just like, I, you know, I think that there are some things that are seasonal, however, not those firm, you know, the season starts on this date, yes. you know, and the season ends and, and playoffs start and, you know, here's, you know, March Madness. We know when March Madness is going to happen, right? Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a designated time frame for that. And business, it just sort of all like melts together somehow. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I see it with our, I mean, I think this is where Vistage has helped our business owners understand that we have to have boundaries and um, we have to be in a sustainable lifestyle, sustainable work mode. We can't just do something where we think it's going to be for a month and it ends up being for two years. Like we really have to have good boundaries. And how do you feel that um, CEOs are reacting to such rapid changes not only in business, but just in the world with technology and especially where you are, you're in a pretty progressive city where it's a pretty tech oriented culture to begin with. So it's not, you know, a city where it's more traditional in nature or more conservative. Um, at least that's my impression. I've been there a couple of times. So how, you know, but even for those CEOs who are in tech, it's still a lot, don't you think? It is a lot. I mean, I met with a man this week who's actually going to be my next member. Um, 
He's a very grounded person. He's a very experienced um, business owner, CEO. And he said, honestly, Julie, um, I sometimes feel like I'm in a coffin and the dirt is being piled on and I don't know if I'm going to get out. Wow. And, you know, he goes, that's why I need this. And I think, you know, my scope is somewhat small because obviously most of the business owners that I'm coming in contact are in the, on a monthly basis are the two, you know, the three groups I'm involved in. But I do think it's, that's one reason why for everybody, we need to have a strategic network. You need to have a place that's a sounding board. And I think that's what Vistage provides is for people to come together once a month and step out of their silo and get perspective and see that, you know what, I've worked every weekend this summer. This isn't what I want to do. I need to stop. And, or, you know, I haven't, I'm home, but I'm not really present. And how do I get that way? And just being able to have those conversations in a safe place. And that's where I encourage people, you know, to find a place to step away and reflect, because I think that's the biggest challenge of living in an ever-changing world is things are happening so fast that sometimes we don't really have that um, clarity break or that time to just reflect and think and look ahead and say, is this what I really want or, is, or where is this taking me? Is this a healthy thing or is this something that probably isn't really getting, you know, it's not really helping me? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that anybody couldn't benefit from being in your group and hearing those kinds of messages very often. <laughs> right? Because it's, you know, intellectually, we all know that, right? Yeah. Intellectually, we, we know, we think about it. We're like, Oh, we're going to do this. We might even block it out on our calendar and then it gets changed or we don't honor that appointment on the calendar with ourselves. And it's easy to do, right? I know some people who, some CEOs, they have a, quiet day once a month mm. and I'm like oh my gosh I still want to be that person I still yeah. want to do that and I'm like of course I can do that doing it though is, a, is another thing so to have somebody like you who's continually reiterating that and reminding them that it is possible I think it's just absolutely huge yeah well we all need accountability because I think we know what to do and I think we want to do it but I mean, we, I don't care if it's your friend or your husband or your grandmother or a peer group, but I think we need people that are looking out for us and saying, okay, what is best? Because otherwise we just don't do it. <laughs> right. So as you reflect back on your whole career and what you're doing now, what's probably one of your favorite highlights? And then we'll wrap up. That'll be my last question. Okay. Um, sorry, I have to plug in. Uh, Okay, one of my favorite highlights of my basketball career and then what I'm doing now, is that what you asked? I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, 26 years of coaching basketball, when you think about all the young men, women that I worked with, amazing coaches that I worked with and people I met, it's hard to have one. But I think probably the highlight is just, um, I don't know, I love – I love being able to see my girls now. Whether they're, I don't know, I'm gonna get emotional, but when I see girls that couldn't set a goal and complete it, and then they graduate, and then they become mothers, or they become teachers, or doctors, or pharmacists, and you're like, 
wow, you know, she is so grown up. Or you see these kids that were just like, couldn't resolve conflict. <laughs> and now they are so good about being a teacher or coach and you see them leading others in really tough inner city schools. And you're like, look at you. This is so amazing. This is Ashley. You know, I remember when she would run away anytime someone didn't agree with her, you know? And so it's just, I think, so that's a, a lot of highlights, but I think I just love seeing where people are now. And, and that so speaks to the influence that you had on them and that you still see them now, right? That oh, there's yeah. still <laughs> a relationship there. And that's beautiful. That's fabulous. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love thanks. that. And I think that's why I feel really honored to be a Vistage chair is because you know, my whole life, whether it was a teacher or coach, and now it's, it's really been about helping people be the best they can be and helping them be who they want to be. And I think to do that, most of us can do some things by ourselves, but to really go far, we need to have people running in front of us and beside us and behind us. And we need to have people that give us a hand. And that's the exciting part about Vistage is that the average member stays in a group seven years. And so you really do develop some tight relationships with people. And even if they don't stay in your group for long, I mean, that long, you're still going to have a relationship with them just because, you know, we, we share life. You know, it's not just business. It's life. And um, I think that that brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction. Yeah, you're all about the people. And, and, and I will attest to that. I was in a Vistage group in 2011-12, and um, that group um, the, the chair changed what he was doing. So that's why I'm not in that group any longer, but I still talk with and meet with on occasion, many of the people in my group. Yeah, that was cool. a while ago. Yeah. So I can definitely, you know, I agree with that. And I see from Vistage groups around the country because um, I go to a lot of groups and speak to those their groups about LinkedIn, just like you can feel the connection when you walk in the room. Yeah. So I can really, I can tell me like, wow, this, this group is very closely knit. And those groups, as all groups are, and all teams are, they become a reflection of the coach, of the chair, the person mm -hmm. who is the first person to be in that, in that, with that group of people and leading them to greater heights. So mm -hmm. well, thanks. This has been such a delight talking with you. I've enjoyed every minute I, minute of it. I knew I would. <laughs> and I so appreciate you taking the time. And for our listeners, I really thank you for listening today. There's a lot of nuggets. I think you're going to have to listen to this episode at least twice just to get everything out of what Julie said because Aww. there's a lot to really think about. You can check out all of our indispensable episodes by heading over to our website, interoadvisory.com, or finding us on your favorite podcast platform, including Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. So if you have a story to share, please let me know. would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Share your feedback. Give us a shout or a shout out. We'd love that. Until our next episode of Indispensable, have a memorable and meaningful week. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. 
grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients. <music>